are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Wednesday show for you. We're just going to wrap up some Super Bowl thoughts for the first time all season. We're going to talk a little college basketball, go over some March Madness, look at the early mock brackets, bracketology, if you will. We're also going to talk about Chip Kelly, another college football head coach leaving for a coordinator position, and Kirk Herbstreet addresses what we talked about last week, the fact that he allegedly swayed a top recruit to change schools. He responds to that. We'll get to all that momentarily. Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting contests and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team, and remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online. The game starts here. A couple final notes on the Kansas City Chiefs and the Super Bowl before we wrap up this football season. Probably won't talk about it much until maybe the Combine, and then as we get closer to the draft. We're definitely going to have Bob Sturm on again as we get closer to the draft. At least I hope we are. Because for his substack that he writes for, he's doing a 60 player profile breakdown. So basically all the players that are going to be, he thinks should probably be taken in the first two rounds. He has a write-up on each one. He's got video clips from college. I mean, this is extensive stuff. And Bob is not a college scout or anything like that. He doesn't supply this to pro teams. He just does it because he loves football. So you got to appreciate that. He gave out three yesterday, all offensive linemen. And, you know, I mean, this is for diehards. I mean, if you're really interested in knowing what the center for Oregon does on, you know, when he has to pull, <laughs> I mean, this this is for you. You can get clips of it. But anyway, um, yeah, just not going to be a lot of football talk moving forward. Just nothing to talk about. We're going to move on to basketball. But a couple things I wanted to wrap up. One thing that makes the Kansas City Chiefs run even that impressive that much more impressive is the fact that they beat four teams that won 11 games or more. I don't think you see that often in the playoffs. To go 4-0 in the playoffs and to beat four teams that won 11 games or more, beat Miami, beat Buffalo, beat the Ravens, and then beat the Niners. Doesn't happen often because usually a team that wins the Super Bowl usually is at least in the last three years, a number one seed, so they don't have to play four games. Or if you go back to when they won in two seeds, both had buys, you know, they didn't have to win four games. Yes, you had your Eli Manning years where he went 4-0 both years. The Nick Foles team, I believe, went 4-0. Um, it has happened. It's just very infrequent. And I don't know if those teams beat four teams that all won 11 games or more. And... As I mentioned yesterday, this Kansas City Chiefs team never scored more than 30 points in a game after Thanksgiving. So this is a team that, I mean, when you don't score over 30 points and your team basically only gives up an average of 16 to 17, it just means all your games are going to be probably within one score. And if you keep it close and your games are within one score and you've got Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, you can't really compete with that. You know, you just... It's why I said for two weeks, I just think Mahomes is going to find a way. 
and I want him. He's the guy I want with the ball with the game on the line, needing a field goal to tie or needing a field goal to win or needing a touchdown to win or tie. That's who I want having the ball. San Francisco 49ers had their chance. They had a seven and a half minute drive in overtime, in case you didn't remember. Granted, that drive should have been over in one minute because I shouldn't say should have. It could have been over in one minute because their first two plays, they had a third and five or third and six in their first possession in overtime. And on third down, they did not get a first down, but there was defensive holding down the field. And that kept the drive alive. And then they just marched. Seven and a half minutes they took. And But in a play where they needed it the most, they couldn't get it on third and four. They ended up kicking a field goal. And you just knew. You knew Mahomes was going to go down, probably score a touchdown, but at least you knew he was going to get a field goal because now going second, which is what you should always do in overtime. Someone needs to tell Kyle Shanahan this. Going second means you know that every single down, every single series that you start as the team going second, you know you have four downs. When you're the San Francisco 49ers or any team that chooses the ball first in overtime, well, you get the ball. Let's say you start the ball at the own at your own 25. What if on the first two? What if on um, third down you don't co- you don't convert, and it's third and four from your own? So you've gained six yards on that drive from your own 31 in overtime. You're not going for it because if you do and don't get it, the other team is already in field goal position, and all they need to do is score to win the game. So if you go second, you always know, I have four downs. I have four downs to do whatever I want, unless I'm saying if the first team scores, which San Francisco did. They got a field goal. So now Kansas City takes the ball, starts at their own 25, and knows, all right, we have four downs for every 10 yards. You always want to be in that position. Who wouldn't want to? Kyle Shanahan is making no sense that he wanted the third possession. He was never getting the third possession in that overtime, because the Chiefs have said we were going to go for two. If San Francisco scored a touchdown and we matched them, we were going for two. And then he obviously didn't get a third possession when he kicked a field goal and Kansas City got a touchdown. It's just looking worse and worse for him. Just the optics of it are terrible. That's not the reason they lost the game. They lost the game because they don't have Patrick Mahomes on their team. I'm just saying it's looking worse and worse when the players are like, yeah, we didn't even know the rule. <laughs> okay. Now, here's another thing about the OT rule. Some people are now saying, we don't like it. And this rule was put and implemented into the rule system after the playoff game two years ago where the Chiefs and Buffalo Bills had that crazy-ass game where they had four lead changes in the last minute and a half. And then it went to overtime and the Chiefs scored a touchdown. You're like, this is so wrong. The other team should get a chance. Okay. Well, they changed it. There were no overtime games, I don't believe, in last year's playoffs, so that's why it never came into play. And then this was the first one in this playoffs. So it turned into, okay, now some people are saying, like, well, okay, this is too much, and it's too confusing. Well, it's not really confusing <laughs> at all. It's the same as the same exact overtime rule as regular season, except if the first team scores a touchdown, the other team still gets a chance. That's the only difference. It's the same exact thing. And I guess time-wise, because it's the Super Bowl, you can't have a tie in the Super Bowl. You know, at the end of 15 minutes, if Kansas City would have kicked a field goal there and then it would have been tied, then it would have been, all right, now we're in sudden death. But in the regular season, yes, you only have 10 minutes and there there can be a tie. But I digress. I have no problem with the rule. I really don't, especially in the Super Bowl. 
I definitely want to see because I think a lot of people would have been upset if the first team scores a touchdown in overtime and the game's over. Like the whole point was let's give both teams a chance in overtime, which if you look at every other sport, if baseball goes extra innings, both team gets an at both teams get an at bat. In the NBA, well, you just have a clock and both teams clearly are getting a lot of possessions. So yeah, I think it needs to be done. But the fact that the, the thing was with this one, it's the first time we'd ever seen it. The fact is the Niners took a seven and a half drive seven and a half minute drive, and then the Chiefs got the ball back, and they basically went seven and a half minutes. They scored with three seconds left on the overtime clock. It didn't mean that once it hit zero, the game was over. It just meant it would have continued on and they would have started another fifteen minute clock. But it is it is weird that technically what if these teams went back and forth and didn't score? You could have had another, I don't know, two quarters of football. Uh, it's possible. Unlikely, but possible. Now, for the first time all season, we're going to talk some college basketball. How about that? I've now officially gotten into college basketball mode. Going to be watching it pretty much every weekend from here on out. I have been watching it on and off throughout the season, and I've basically seen the top teams play. The next four or five weeks are dedicated to the mid-majors because you know that I'm always looking for a mid-major to win a first round, if not a second round game, and get to the Sweet 16. We know that for the most part, every year, at least one double-digit seed gets to the Sweet 16. And last year was just a clusterfuck in your in your brackets when no number one seed even lasted past the Sweet 16. That's probably not going to happen again, but... I mean, we're seeing some of the top teams in the nation just drop these horrible, horrible losses and getting blown out of the building like Kansas did the other night against Texas Tech. But there's two mid-majors that I have my eye on right now. The first one, and no, it's not because of their nickname, although don't think for a second I won't be finding a shirt. And if anybody that lives in the state of Ohio and attended Akron can get me a shirt, I'd really appreciate it. But the zippers. Yes, I know that the zip, I call them the zippers. 18 and 6 on the season. They just dropped their first conference game. They had won their first 10 conference games. They're 10 and 1 now in conference. They lead by a game in conference over Toledo. But I really like this Akron Zips team. And then you got to go over to the Missouri Valley Conference where the story this week became the Sycamores of Indiana State. Why? Because they are now ranked for the first time since the Larry Bird era. <laughs> so you got to be happy at Indiana State. The Sycamores, 22-3 and on the season. They are 13-1 and in conference. They just came off a giant blowout of the team in second place, the Drake Bulldogs. They blew them out at home. And the other reason why the Indiana State Sycamores, if they win the Missouri Valley and get to the tournament, or even make the tournament as an at-large, if they happen to get upset in the championship game, I think they have an outside shot of making it as a team, as an at-large, is the fact that this is going to be the team that, I, and this is what I'm worried about, this is going to be America's darling for one reason and one reason only, and his name is Robbie Avila. Robbie Avila looks like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe him, but he's a big white guy who doesn't look like he's in shape, and he wears goggles, and yet he goes for 14 and 8 per game. He's a center that can take you off the dribble from the three-point line. He can shoot three-pointers. He's got great footwork in the paint. 
He's going to be the guy that come tournament time, I'm telling you right now, he's going to be the guy if Indiana State pulls off a first-round upset, which they most certainly can. It might not even be an upset because they're looking at maybe a 7 or an 8 seed right now. So if they're a 7, them winning a first-round game wouldn't be an upset. But, well, let me see. Let's go to the mock Let's go to Bracketology, where Joe Lenardi has, you know, this doesn't really mean much right now. It just kind of gives you an idea. Oh, no, he's got Indiana State as an 11, which is, that is, you know, we know the 11-6 game and the 12-5 game is where people are looking for upsets. He has Indiana State winning the Missouri Valley, getting in as an automatic qualifier, and being an 11 seed in the East region, playing six seed at Oklahoma. This is very early, obviously. We've got five weeks for this stuff to change. But you're looking at that's where they could be. The other team that I like as well is the Catamounts of Vermont. They are tourney tested. They're very good again this year. Were they in the uh, A? Are they in the A Sun? What is there? I always forget where uh, Vermont. Excuse me. Um, hmm. America East. Sorry, not the A Sun. They are. Uh, they are nine and one in the conference. And at nineteen and six overall, they are a team to keep an eye on come tournament time. Now they had some early, early bad losses, but they've kind of turned it around in conference and they've won conference games in the past, Vermont. And I think I was on them maybe one or a year ago, two years ago. I'm not even I'm not even sure. I don't even remember. But those are three mid majors that I'm looking at. And right now, Joe Lenardi has your top four seeds as Purdue, UConn. Arizona and Houston. We have plenty of time to talk about Purdue because we know what has happened to this team the last, what, three years in the tournament and how poorly they've underachieved. We don't need to go over that right now. UConn is flat out scary yet again. I think they're 24 and 2, 23 and 2. And you watch them play this year, you listen to the experts. The experts are saying this team might be better than last year's team that won the national championship. And not only did last year's team win the national championship, they won every game by double digits. They covered every game in the tournament, and it was just not even close. It wasn't even funny. So, um, yeah, UConn could be headed uh, for a back-to-back. Hell, we got a back-to-back in the NFL. Why not have a back-to-back in college basketball? Arizona as a one seed, I'm sorry. Once again, I just – it's also their Achilles heel. Great regular season team falters in the tournament. I'm not sold on Arizona whatsoever. They've had some really bad losses in the Pac-12 this year. And I just, their tournament history precedes them. You have to take that in consideration. Houston is the other number one seed that they have. And as much as I like them defensively and as as, as hard as they play on a daily basis, they are always one bad shooting game away from getting knocked out. I mean, technically anybody is in the tournament. You have one off shooting day and you're done. But Houston is a team that relies on its defense. It's suffocating defense that holds teams to like 55 points a game, something ridiculous like that, or, and their offensive rebounding. But if one, some team holds them off and, do, and prevents that, Houston is not a team that's going to ever light up a scoreboard. So when you're winning games 65 to 47 and 62, 55 and stuff like that, tournament time, you're playing better teams. And outside of your first round game where you're going to play a 16 seed, every game after that, it's going to be pretty tough. 
And I just, I don't, I don't know if I'm sold on Houston yet, but um, UConn, I am, even though the statistics definitely don't favor them based on defending champions and how they've done since 2016. I'll break out that stat as we get closer to March Madness. And then Purdue is just such an enigma. Purdue is either a team that's going to vastly underachieve and get bounced in the first weekend again, or they're getting to the national championship game and probably winning it. Like that's, it's, it's like no in between. I can't see them just like getting to the sweet 16. I feel like they're getting bounced early or they're getting all the way to the final. And then at that point, it's just like, are they going to win or are they not? We don't know yet, but definitely going to have plenty of college basketball talk over the next month. Tournament starts um, that Tuesday play-in game. The Tuesday and Wednesday is the 19th and the 20th. And then the tournament starts on Thursday, the 21st. And then finally, with a couple of college football notes, once again, another head coach took a coordinator position in the same conference. I mean, Chip Kelly, head coach at UCLA. UCLA going to the Big Ten next year decides, I don't want to coach UCLA anymore. I want to go be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but we've seen this. It's happened numerous times. But this one was weird because it was within conference. You know, that is bizarre. And, uh, you know, it's it's his – I mean, if you, if you follow the UCLA program, which I've still got contacts back there, alums that I talk to all the time, they basically said, look, Chip Kelly hates NIL. He just he's just such a a football coach and all he wants to do is coach and run trick plays and run gimmicky offenses. He doesn't care about everything else that surrounds coaching, which is recruiting, NIL, all that stuff. He hated it. And so, knowing that, not really much of a surprise that he decided to go be an offensive coordinator. Weird that it's within the same conference, but not surprising if you know Chip Kelly. Guy just wants to coach ball. Now, the final thing I want to talk about is what we brought up at the end of last week, and that was this story that the number one recruit in the nation, college recruit, who had committed to Georgia, ends up going to Nebraska. And his name is Dylan Rayola. His dad, Dom Rayola, was an offensive lineman at Nebraska. So it's not far-fetched to think he would go and play at his dad's alma mater. However, Nebraska hasn't been relevant on the national stage in 20 years. So that was interesting. And then there's a story that broke where Dom Rayola, uh, the father, went on a podcast and talked about the fact that Kirk Herbstreet had talked to him and said, I definitely think your son should go to Nebraska. Well, Herbstreet obviously was going to address this. He went on Paul Feinbaum's show, and his statement was, I know Dom. We're not great friends, but I know him pretty well. When somebody calls and says, what do you think of Matt Rule, and you like Matt Rule, are you supposed to say, Matt Rule's a bad guy, Matt Rule's an idiot, Matt Rule's a bad coach? Or do you say, I like Matt Rule. I think Matt Rule's a good coach. And then he said, it sounded like the family, out of respect for their love for Nebraska, they were really torn is what he made it sound like. I thought being a guy that went to Ohio State and a lot of it had to do with my dad, I just said, wow, the fact that your son can go to any school, any powerhouse that's competing for national titles, and because of his respect for his own dad, he's thinking about maybe going to Nebraska, a place that hasn't competed for national titles in over 20 years. That says a lot about the kid as far as what he wants to do. So, and he went on to say a few other things. Now, I, that was Herb Street's answer, and that's fine and dandy. However, I, I, I it doesn't – that portrayal of the conversation is kind of in contrast – to what Dylan Riola said on the podcast he went on. 
He said that Kirk Herbstreit reached out to him and enthusiastically pitched Nebraska upon hearing that his son was considering transferring. So I guess this could be a, just a he said, he said. We don't know. Somebody's lying, or maybe the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I still don't know. Regardless of what, who said what and who pitched who first, I think, you know, Kirk Herbstreit didn't do anything illegal. However, the number one voice in college football probably shouldn't be talking. I, I'm sure he gets hit up all the time, but this is the top recruit in the nation, a possible game changer and program changer. Should he be offering his advice to something like this? Maybe he'd just stay out of it. And I, and I don't know. Maybe something's going to come of this. Maybe not. Maybe it'll die by the time we get to our first college game day next August. But is something to keep an eye on for sure. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Follow me on Apple Podcasts. Also rate and review, but you got to hit play. It does It's not good enough to just download it anymore. Uh, tell your friends about it. Also on the, uh, this podcast is brought to you by bet online. As you know, the new sponsor for this podcast, the daily roundup was posted uh, an hour ago. My reader emails and my thoughts on the last two episodes of the bachelor this past Monday and Tuesday are up on my website in about an hour from now. So go check that out again. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And I remember to do this. Remember sports will always be the greatest reality show on television.